Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. We're grateful to be in conversation with Dr. Emily Splitschall. Dr. Emily, functional podiatrist and human movement specialist, is the founder of EBFA Global, formerly Evidence-Based Fitness Academy, creator of the Barefoot Training Specialist Certification, author of Barefoot Strong, and the inventor of Naboso Barefoot Technology. With over 19 years in the fitness industry, Dr. Splishall has dedicated her medical career towards studying postural alignment and human movement as it relates to barefoot science, foot-to-the-core integration, and sensory integration. Dr. Emily is actively involved in barefoot training research and barefoot education as it relates to athletic performance, injury prevention, and movement longevity. Dr. Emily has presented her research in barefoot education both nationally and internationally to over 20,000 professionals. With her Barefoot Training Specialist Program in over 40 countries worldwide and translated into 15 languages. In today's conversation, we talk about how Dr. Emily looks at feet in relation to functional anatomy, barefoot science, our relationship to gravity from a medical view, power plates and our body's response, what is Naboso and how it works, hearing and balance relations, and her personal COVID story as a long hauler. So with that, let's begin our talk. Dr. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. I would love to hear a little bit more about how you became a podiatrist and the early stories that got you there. Absolutely. So first off, thank you guys so much for having me be on the show and to share a little bit about how I look at the human body, um, feet, obviously fascia, just this kind of very sensory rich environment that we live within. Uh, My background is I'm a podiatrist, I am a clinician, but I consider myself more of a functional podiatrist, meaning that I'm probably unlike almost every other podiatrist. I don't look at the feet from an isolated perspective. I think the feet are just part of the big picture, which is movement, movement as a podiatrist. Um, I'm also a human movement specialist and I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years. So I actually started in the fitness industry and then uh, shortly on after being in fitness, I went to podiatry school, but the entire time that I was going through podiatry, I was applying the concepts of feet to fitness. This is now, oh my gosh, almost 20 years ago. And Uh, the further that I got along, I kept seeing this disconnect between what I appreciated in fitness and then what I was being taught in podiatric medical school. So once I graduated podiatry school, I actually took a break from residency, went back to school, got my master's in human movement. And in the master's in human movement, I studied barefoot science, fascia, 
um, integrated concepts with the diaphragm and pelvic floor and all of that. And that really is the glue in between fitness podiatry is my master's. Uh, and then that shaped how I look at the human body, barefoot science, breath, pelvic floor, super integrated. Um, and now I travel around the world teaching other professionals how I look at the human body. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's exhausted. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had heard that before, and I just think that's such a, such a yummy journey, especially for being someone interested in the human body, that you've gotten a really beautiful balance of the more medical point of view and then human performance and be able to integrate that. I mean, it's no wonder that you have this great platform of all the different offerings that you that you bring to to the world. I, I'm definitely a consumer of a handful of your your programs. And why I was so interested in having you come on is it really does speak to the language of structural integrators and also, you know, somatic movement practitioners. And it's just really fun to to learn from a doctor who is holding this greater spectrum and not just an isolated like yes you're trained in podiatry but it's not just isolated to the foot clearly the foot is the the foundation of our body what's happening into our feet is most likely going to be transmitting up the body in some way and that you're that you're really holding all that because i think from probably you've probably seen it with your your patients is being able to yeah, they may come in with a problem that you're that you're taking a holistic approach. And often, I don't want to throw a blanket statement, but it kind of is. We don't get seen as a whole person. We only get seen as what our chief complaint is. And when you get to be seen as a whole person, you get motivated to to maybe be a participant in being healed and not just doctor, tell me what to do. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated in functional medicine, integrative medicine. That's actually the trend within the medical community right now, um, or at least it is in, in the world that I am, uh, like anti-aging medicine and biohacking. And there's kind of this space of, you know, there's so much more that we can do versus symptom-based medicine, which is a traditional Western medicine approach that is super subspecialized. You go to the orthopedic surgeon that specializes in your knee and he can't look at or ask questions of anything beyond just your knee. That's a very Western medicine approach. Um, with podiatry, people may be surprised that I'm able to take a profession or a specialty such as podiatry and apply it with a functional medicine approach. And I remember years ago when I was still in podiatry school, I used to go to anti-aging medicine conferences and it's through an organization called A4M. Their conferences are incredible. Um, but A4M and I would go as a podiatry student and all the other MD docs would be like, why are you here? Like you're a podiatrist, you are so far away from this functional medicine spectrum. And I was like, no, you're, your presentation about your skin, like anti-aging skin and how to keep your collagen in your face to look young, I can apply that as a podiatrist to movement in the collagen of your body and in your fascia because it's the same collagen. 
and I want to protect your collagen of your fashion, your tendons and your connective tissue so you can have movement longevity. I'm now an anti-aging specialist. I just focus on movement. Um, so that's always how I've applied it. And now I've really kind of opened up that area in, let's say, podiatry specifically about what functional podiatry would be. That's great. Can you speak a little bit? I, I feel like this is a newer webinar, but correct me if I'm wrong. And if it's free, I feel like it was. Um, that you're the gravity in the human movement? Yes. So I did a webinar through EBFA Global, which is our, our education company. And it was about gravity, friend or foe. So what's our relationship to gravity? And I look at gravity as a necessary sensory stimulus to the body or to the nervous system. And that even before we're born, when we're in utero, we are developing our relationship to gravity, and which just shows how important it is that we're trying to orientate ourselves to gravity and strengthen the muscles and the nervous system that controls gravity orientation before we're even born. Um, and then obviously, as we go from uh, lying to sitting to crawling to walking, essentially, you're just learning to navigate your body and gravity through what a lot of people will reference is center of gravity, right? Your balance, but it's not just, it's not that simple. It's actually much more gravity is weight. It's proprioceptive. So it connects you to your body awareness. So I use gravity as a trick or a hack to build body awareness for a child, for an athlete, for someone who had maybe a stroke or a movement disorder. And you can do that by using uh, like weighted vests or wrist weights. Uh, if you're in water, you actually get higher proprioceptive awareness of your body because it's pressure on your uh, proprioceptive system, the skin. And then that helps people orientate their body in space. So I'm fascinated by gravity, partly because of just loving the sensory system, but it's a lot of the patients that I see is you know, let's say if we just think of like fall reduction as one example, people who are at a fall risk, let's say I'm 75, I had a stroke or I have inner ear, I have hearing loss on one side, whatever it is, I've lost my relationship to gravity, my body awareness. I actually lose a sense of myself, um, which can actually go in several ways. It could be the physical self or like my internal self, which both of those fascinate me as people get older, and what can we do from a sensory gravity awareness perspective to build both body awareness so they don't fall, but self-awareness so they stay confident because a fear of falling or a lack of movement confidence is a huge contributor to falls that uh, I think is underappreciated. Right, that's why I wanted, why I kind of led into that when you're talking about your, the anti-aging conferences that you go to and recently listening to, to that um, webinar, A, would, of course I was drawn to it because Ida Rolf, Dr. Ida Rolf, that the, her whole thing was helping bodies, not in find, getting them in better in line in relationship to gravity. So just again, how does the modern body still stay upright with this gravitational force? But also it's a reminder too of how our aging bodies start to suffer with gravity. And I really liked what you offered with 
the, the ankle weights. I presented that to a client of mine who is in their mid seventies and is always kind of finding themselves in, in space is just a challenge. Their proprioception is not well tuned in that way. And I encourage them to buy little bangles. And I think Bali made like their kind of fashionable ones. And so mm-hmm. I was like, put these on your feet because this person just had a, a knee replacement and is really struggling. Walking again wasn't like a, an easy task. And I was like, put these on your feet. They're gonna, there's a, the enough stimulus where it's not overwhelming, but will remind you to pay attention to picking up your legs and finding a proper placement. And it's helped a little bit. Um, I, I think for this particular individual, it's still kind of a challenge of finding, finding orientation in, in, in space, which is, um, I, I don't know how, how far that is particular aging or just not really being well in tune with that. Um, sounds historically, it's not a, a strong sense for her. But yeah, I think that the whole relationship of being in balance with gravity is key, especially in our, our modern ways of life. And I see it with my kid, my poor kid, you know, we're homeschooling by COVID choice. And I, you know, sitting at the computer and with the tablets and, and he's six. And even in sometimes with my three-year-old too, just kind of, seeing them start to to shrink into that anterior line and so doing the best I can to to keep them with sound structure with gravity as long as they can well I mean that's why movement is so important because you know when you move most likely you're vertical like up in gravity um so it gets people into that sensory stimulus and I I think that there's a huge connection between yes, movement and like say cognitive, emotional, like just brain optimization. Part of it is just the fact that you're moving your limbs and you're getting blood flow going. But I do think that a lot of it is this gravitational sensory stimulus. And what I go into in the webinar that I didn't mention yet is that gravity by your body is perceived as weight or pressure, right? You feel gravity. You don't consciously feel it, but you feel it. And then gravity to the foot is vibrations through ground reaction forces. So both pressure to your body and your joints and things like that, like the weight stimulates your brain and your nervous system. And then every time you take a step, the vibrations of your foot hitting the ground stimulates your nervous system. And your foot is sensitive to vibration, but your entire myofascial web is sensitive to vibration. Every cell in your body vibrates. That's how it communicates. So I'm very fascinated by vibrations and just that aspect of vibration being um, kind of like the life force of, of the human body. And if that's how, you know, the most, the oldest part of your body, which are the cells all the way down to like bacteria and if they're vibrating, I mean, that's clearly a, uh, innate communication or sensory stimulus to your body. And, um, just by moving and picking up your feet and bringing in vibrations is so important. How do you, what are your thoughts about power plates? Well, it's just, (laughs) I almost said that as you asked that. (laughs) So I love whole body vibration platforms. Power plate is one. Um, Galileo is another one. So we, we have quite a few people, uh, through Nobosa, which is another one of my companies that use 
use various different types of vibration platforms. One of them is power plate that you mentioned, which is vibrations that oscillate uh, vertical and horizontal, that kind of try to hit this triplane of vibration. Galileo is a more kind of like, like this type of motion, like it's alternating vibrations and they stimulate the nervous system completely different. Some people get a heightened response to them. I've actually been on whole body vibration platforms where they're almost too stimulating. And I suddenly was overcome by a, it was really a sympathetic response, but it kind of, it was going and then something triggered in my body. And I was just like, and then like my palms sweat and I clearly went into like, and I was like, okay, I'm off, I'm done. Right. And then I was nauseous for a while that we shouldn't always just base a vibration off of what we think is the best one, because some of our clients are going to respond a little bit differently to them. And then some, it's going to be too much. So you have to really baby step on them versus you say, okay, here, we're going to do five minutes. Cause that's kind of the standard dose. And then you could be 30 seconds in and your client just shuts down because it freaks them out. It shakes it. It puts them in a, a survival state and then you're not going to get any benefit you actually have to then get them out of that and then, then yeah. go with the rest of your session yeah i have a client who has galileo which looks less vibration wise and i've always yep. been curious about it but these power plates there's something about it that made me feel like because i've had some past experiences that have been maybe traumatizing of which the sympathetic chain kicks up and it's like that shaking going on of which so i've always been like i've stared clear of it because i could see it being helpful maybe, but also being severely not helpful, especially if people are not as in tuned into their autonomic nervous system. It's like they're, they could be continuing harm and harm and harm. But I, I know nothing about the Galileo. When you said it, it like reminded me that I've always, it looks like it's, it's part balance, part shaking. Is that the deal? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it's an alternating, um, actually some of the research around the Galileo is actually a little bit, um, better or stronger, let's say, um, as far as what it does to the nervous system. Where we do see a really good response, though, for those that, let's say, are open to the vibration or you do it appropriately, is if we take children with autism, as an example, mm. and let's say there's sensory seeking type of, of a yeah. spectrum, and you put them on a power plate or something like that, it calms them down and they actually center focus could actually learn better. And that's how we use the Naboso products as well is that we're actually in some schools and the kids will be stimulated on them. If they're getting a little bit too uh, riled up and it'll center them back down so that they can focus. Um, so it is quite interesting. I think it depends if people are sensory seeking, sensory defensive, what their relationship is to sensory, um, thankfully, most people are more sensory seeking than defensive. So you're saying that everyone is different. Everyone is different. <laughs> so the power plate was my COVID purchase and I love it. So, cause I, you know, with not being able to go to the gym, it's not always something I always did, but I definitely liked jumping on it and like doing squats or, you know, various things. And I just, I don't know the way. The way the internet works, it somehow remember like it can tap into your brain, be like, oh, you remember that thing you missed? Here it is. And so some special came up on the, this was a home version, so it doesn't have the handle and it's small. Yep. And, um, and it's interesting because I definitely, I like it. And, but I kind of 
stay, unless I'm doing kind of hit works out, hit workouts on it and kind of just bouncing on and off of it, I'll put it on a higher, the highest setting. But for the most part, I do keep it on the lower one, especially if you stand completely upright, it feels like it really shakes up into my brain. Well, so that's where people need to know how our body actually responds to vibrations. And the body responds to vibrations by creating isometric contractions to brace it and splint it into it. That if someone is using a whole body vibration platform and you're all the way vertical and you're not kind of contracting down into the vibration, you are technically not using it the right way, which is not to the fault of the end user because they don't know, right? But for the practitioner to know that we damp vibrations by contracting into the vibration, then you actually use the vibration in the way that it should be stimulating the body. Um, and that's important for really for the practitioner to know is that dynamic movement is built around isometric contractions. And then what's actually moving when you move is the fascia and it's not the muscle itself. The muscle kind of sits and hangs on. You're kind of trying to mimic that with some of these vibration platforms. That's interesting. So it, it sounds like my nervous system or my body felt sense knew that that was not the appropriate place to be because I didn't, I, I never go there. Um, I am curious. So it's, of course, it's a new thing in the house and my kids love it but I only will let them sit on it. I don't let them stand vertically for the fact that I've, what I've experienced myself. And I got a little nervous. And of course I went looking and through the internet and they said that um, power plates, there are some negative responses to it saying that maybe it causes brain damage. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I thought that was a far stretch. <laughs> you them your but, on it, that's that's the internet that causes brain damage. Yeah, that's the, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so they actually use whole body vibration with, with children who have cerebral palsy and brain injury or hypertonic children. So it's absolutely safe for a child to use it. The way that I would use it, though, with the child is more more like, oh, it's a massage, and then they put their legs on it, kind of what you're saying, or you know, can you step on it and off of it right away? So they're kind of walking over it, because I know the one that you have is kind of like an aerobic step one, that they could step on it and off of it. Don't just stand there and just stay there. Um, so I agree with you on that, but yes, yeah, definitely safe from the perspective of, you know, even if they're sitting on a chair and their feet are on it, and it's vibrating and it's kind of tickling the feet is probably what they would say that it tickles. Um, that that's how it's used in neurological conditions in all ages, all types, but specifically with CP children. Great. Thank you. Which now, now I want to put my Naboso mats on it. I didn't think of that. <laughs> Nicole, we actually make a Naboso power plate mat for the version that you have the personal power plate. All right. No excuse now. <laughs> Ding. Can you, can, you um, talk, can you talk a little bit about Naboso? Because I've heard of it a little bit, but not a lot. So it'd be nice to share so that also the people listening can be like, that's the third time I've heard that word. What is that? Yes. So Naboso is a company that I started three years ago, and it is a material that I developed that is uniquely designed to stimulate the nerves in the feet and the hand. Um, and the design on the material that all of our products 
have is like braille. People are seeing that you can, there's little dots or pyramids across the entire material. The best analogy to our product line, our material is braille. So how the braille dots are, you know, separated, they're a certain height and they're a distance. When you touch a braille dot, what you're really stimulating is what's called two-point discrimination, right? So can you discriminate or differentiate those two points and feel that it's two points, it's not one, right? The sensitivity of it. And so that's a pattern. It is loosely called texture, but texture, people think like, oh, my carpet has a texture, my, the astroturf has a texture, the rocks out there have a texture. The, that's not really what is happening to the brain. It's the ability to differentiate two points. That's the pattern of the texture, like Braille, that when you stimulate it on the hands and feet, it tells the somatosensory cortex or the brain about that input, where the feet are in space, where the body is in space. And then that translates to balance, posture, gait, Photo awareness, body awareness, strength, force, etc. Um, so through Naboso and this material, we have developed insoles that we use for all applications, including children. Um, we have mats. So picture a yoga mat size, and it has this pyramid or like braille across the entire surface. And then we have flooring, and we license our material to different companies. It's on a treadmill. It's on a force plate, it's on a shoe, it's on a balance mat. So all these different, different things. And the end goal is to help people tap into their nervous system through the skin and the feet, because the skin and the feet is so powerful to how the brain controls movement. Um, so of course, it's going to have medical applications. Think of someone who had a stroke, but it also has the application for athletes, professional athletes, all athletes. And then it has application, one of ours that is really interesting, it has a wellness slash, we'll call it corporate wellness, that we actually use it for people who stand on their feet all day for work. So that could be like a trainer, that could be a body worker, that could be right anyone who's literally on their feet. We happened to do a study with uh, Stanley Black & Decker, the manufacturing facility. So they're obviously on concrete, 10 hours a day manufacturing things. Um, and we saw a... 93% reduction in foot pain using our insoles on people who have to stand on concrete for work. So it was really impressive stuff. Um, and we have other products that are coming out and blah, 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 all that fun stuff. <laughs> I have a question then about that, which is going to tie into what you were talking about earlier. So interestingly, like a week ago, my dad uh, was walking, my dad's in his mid seventies and sort of missed a curb, fell, broke some ribs, um, which is pretty bad. But you know, my dad, my dad's wonderful, but he has very little sensory awareness, even when we do body work. And he wears these shoes with these huge foam of which I'm like, oh, you know, and I was thinking to him, my, myself was, if I got him on barefoot, at least he could start to develop better proprioception, mm -hmm. but he won't go that way. And part of what you were saying that actually was really interesting before was he's, he's been going deaf for a while and I never put the two together about losing that and that so when you're speaking now about this i'm wondering like in your view with, without shamelessly promoting yourself like getting your insoles and putting the insoles in the feet and having that would ideally be a, a possibility for increasing his own 
sensory motor awareness and maybe helping with walking among other stuff. hundred percent. So there's, there's a few things that um, I would say in response to that. One is that yes, the most ideal situation would be having someone in not so much cushion. We know that like you need to fill the ground. Everyone who's listening probably appreciates that. That's why minimal shoes are so popular, but the, the people that actually support minimal shoes and are like drank the Kool-Aid on that is actually very small compared to the actual population of the world, let's say, or, right, or the US, wherever you wanna have your perspective. It's a really small pocket. If you're in the pocket, you feel like everyone is there, so it seems bigger than it is, but a lot of people either don't understand it, they're not going to switch their shoes, that's not the reality of the masses. So that means for your father, as an example, he's like, no inhale, Andrew, am I getting out of these shoes? So nice try. You say, not a problem. You stay in your cushion shoes, and I'm going to put Naboso in, which will stimulate your feet kind of like your minimal or barefoot so that you have increased awareness because the cushion in your shoes is taking away all of that important sensory stimulation. So let me, let, let's find this middle ground that makes you happy and makes him happy and actually benefits his balance and his, his motor control. Um, the second thing that I would say to that is definitely the, the losing of the hearing is a huge contributor. And conceptually we know that, but until you actually see a lot of it, you don't realize the impact. So we did a study for Naboso and we were in we went to these various long-term care centers and we had them using our insoles. So I had a, a good perspective of seeing people 70 plus trying to reduce their falls. And what I did notice is people 70 plus have a marked loss in body awareness, which is a market. And then you add increased body weight. So now you have a mass. And I, I'm not saying that your dad might, will be older, but just or heavier, but you know, as people become older, they become maybe less active or the hormones change or whatever, they start putting on weight. It's just part of growing older. Um, and so you have a larger mass and then you have an altered sense of that mass. And then the reactivity of the nervous system is slower. And then you have, you have you know, certain things that contribute to a loss of that perception that that is very hard to reduce falls in that population per se. So it, it really gave an interesting perspective of fall risk in, let's say really 75 plus. That's where you see most of the changes. People can kind of stay really until like 75 and something starts to happen when you start to push around, let's say even that 80 mark plus or minus some, um, that for your father and as people get older, this is something I say in my workshops, is that we can only perceive or we're only as stable as the rate at which we perceive a shift in that in that body right so if i can't sense myself fast enough i won't be stable so trying to control like muscle strength a lot of senior programming is build muscles like get out get out of the chair you know get your quads strong but if they have strong muscles but they don't have an awareness of their body in space they might as well not have strong muscles. Does that, does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? So that's Absolutely. why I keep going back to sensory, 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 gravity, weights, wrist weights, weighted vests, Novoso insoles, minimal shoes, 
things that helps that individual build body awareness. Maybe even like uh, pool work, how all the seniors go to the YMCA and then they go and they do the pool and it's all the old ladies who are this is like totally stereotypical, but that's how people kind of think of like uh, swimming exercises like the older ladies going to the YMCA. That's one of the best things I could be doing because I had mentioned earlier, water builds body awareness because you actually feel your body in the pool. Um, so yeah, that's a total long answer to Andrew. Yes, your dad should use the insult. <laughs> well, that lends, I think, lends to maybe another topic but can tie in that, you know, another thing I've heard you talk about is the biopsychosocial model. And while, as you're explaining that, I'm thinking of, you know, I've been hearing it through my folks and their friends and there's kind of like when you reach this senior citizen age it's almost like this permission of like oh I'm older I'm like I'm this is my destiny and not really in the kind of the medical world kind of catering to that or maybe marketing it from them from those thick sole shoes and um and it's it's hard to challenge that I think a little bit because there because I think too when you're when you're getting older there's a lot more to think about in this whole risk of falling and as you know Andrew kind of pointed out stumbling over a curb isn't just a little sprain you could really shatter some bones and and so there's so much in the the story that's created as we get to this our our older age and hopefully we can start shifting that a little bit you know we're still young enough and great products like that you're creating can bring back to it's not about i mean of course having strength is great but yeah what good is strength if you're not aware of who you are what world you're living in and your relationship to sensation yeah i mean i because of naboso i go to a lot of aged care industry conferences like the business of aging we'll call it um and i know maybe maybe you're like oh my gosh this whole podcast became a aging <laughs> topic <laughs> this applies to everyone because everyone will get older but really the exactly we're all aging <laughs> and we're in the, the, the nature of our work is preventative medicine yes exactly so, yeah. Longevity. All, especially in covid we've all aged years and just weeks so <laughs> yes. Okay. I know. Yes, I definitely have. Um, but when you look at uh, the business of aging in the U.S. is very different than the business of aging in other countries, which is very fascinating. If you look at, say, Japan, where I've actually, we do Naboso work. I'm actually partnership with PowerPlay in Japan. So I've been there and I understand their business of aging model by the government and just culturally that they value and respect them and give them this purpose as they are older so much longer. Unfortunately, here in the US, we kind of like, you go in the nursing home, like I have all this stuff to do, like the people don't live at home with their children and then it, it kind of stays generational like that. That's just not really how our culture is built around. 
which means that a lot of these individuals then get shunted to a nursing home where they don't really have a purpose. So then they're not being stimulated and then maybe they're isolated and that affects their mood and then they become depressed. And then when you're depressed, you kind of disassociate from your body. So now you don't have body awareness and now you have a heightened fault risk. So it becomes this whole uh, like downward spiral in a sense that the way that when I go to a aged care conference and I speak, I speak to it of we need sensory and movement for people who are older. And the more that you can keep those two things, you keep their mood elevated. So you decrease depression rates in seniors, uh, quality of life rates in seniors. And then from a mental perspective, you maintain blood flow to the brain because they're moving and you're stimulating them. So you bring in sensory. So they maintain cognitive performance. You reduce dementia risks, Alzheimer's risk. So those two connections, and then you, you maintain independence, which is huge. Uh, you had mentioned a little bit of kind of the biopsychosocial and maybe the relationships with the doctors. One thing that I've also found with older patients and maybe those that are listening know that their older clients require a little bit more time because they want to talk longer. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're kind of lonely, which goes back to this independence isolation side of things. They want to be stimulated. They want to have stimulated conversations or they might say, oh, I have pain here. And you're like, it's, it's not making, it's not matching the way that it's presenting. Right. But they're just like, no, trust me, like it hurts here. And you're like, <laughs> like, they're just older. They're just kind of like, da, da, da. it doesn't really hurt, right? That we kind of like undermine their ability to perceive that something hurts them or that they're stiff. And I, I get it. I've, I've totally been guilty of it with podiatrists that they're just like, no, 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 my shoe hurts now. What did you do to my foot? Like, I can't wear my shoe. I can't leave. This is driving me crazy. What did you do to my foot? And then a whole thing comes up and I'm just like, I didn't do anything. And then you try you just like touch it. Okay, now try it. Okay, that's better. <laughs> You're like the kind of, um, so it, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy with the older, older clients or patients or as we age. But I do think that the more that people stay in touch with themselves and sensory and movement, all of that stuff has a trickle down effect on their emotional state, their cognitive state, their independence. Um, so it's a, it's a really important topic. Well, and pain is so complex. I mean, it is, I mean, we see it too in, in the nature of our work is people come in with whatever their chief complaint is, but we're seeing, you know, in looking at their alignment, their shoulder hurts, but we can see the imbalance in their hip and then maybe driven from the way the feet are organized. And especially if, you know, if we're doing a tin or the classic recipe of the tin series, they're like, it's my shoulder hurts. Why are you working on my feet? Or it's my shoulder hurts. Why are you, why are we talking about my breath? <laughs> oh, well, maybe because your shoulders rest on your rib cage. Like it is. And then, yeah. And then people do the whole, people are, can be identified to pain and it's the way they get seen and to tell someone. Yeah, I think that that's a huge part of it. So in my office, I see primarily movement disorders, chronic pain and chronic connective tissue issues, meaning 
uh, like partial tears of tissues and I do stem cells and regenerative medicine for them. So those are kind of the three main things that I see. For those that have chronic pain, most of it is going to be, think like neuralgias in a sense, right? Maybe it's an entrapped nerve, maybe it's um, a nerve that was injured from a myriad of different issues. It's a neuropathy, it's an RSD, it's something that is uh, neuropathic in nature to some degree. And a lot of them do become identified by their pain. Like, my name is Dr. Emily and I have pain that like, that's just, that's me, that they, it's almost like validating to the ego for people who uh, read a lot on like ego is you hold on to identities because it just reinforces your ego and your ego likes you to hold on those, which is pain. So if you're trying to get them out of pain and that's such a strong identity of, of who they are, um, it can make your job as the clinician or the practitioner, or the body worker, the healer to try to help them go through the next door. If they are not refusing to release things to get through the door, then you're just like, well, my hands are tied. So I, what am I going to do? Um, that, that's yeah. hard. And I do agree pain is difficult. I had a, a client I was working with who was Scandinavian and we like kept, we kept getting to this place and we couldn't go any further. And I remember I asked him, I was like, when was the last time you cried? And he was like, I'm a Viking. We don't show pain. And I was like, we're done here. Like, there's nothing I can do. You're like, you've hit this wall. You're, 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 you won't actually let go. Like we can be friends, but I can't actually do anything anymore. Yeah. You know, that's your identity. I, I'm, I can hold the pain of the world. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is fascinating, but then when people, I mean, and sometimes it's sad because you will like them as a person, you treated them for a while, or this could even be like a family member or just, you know, someone that you love in whatever context. And you know that there is, if you've been here, which I have been on the other side, and then when you get to the enlightened side or whatever you want to call it, right? That, right, I let myself cry and then, which is scary, it's very scary to unleash certain things. But then when you're on the other side, you're like, holy hell, how did I not before had i known that it would be like this amazing then i would have done that so much sooner so like in his case it's unfortunate because you could be like such a great person and i want him to know what it feels like to be on this side but there's nothing you can do because it's it's ultimately his choice right okay. well to speak of someone who i think has been a great advocate of not staying stuck in a story I've followed you, you know, for a lot of reasons on social media, but I've really been admired how you've managed COVID. Oh, goodness. I, if you don't mind, if we could just touch in on that, because I think when you first, you know, you came out with vulnerability and then you, you, you kind of shared the experience and then, and, the, and then also not only the vulnerability, um, I personally reached out to you when you're like, is anybody, you know, who's experienced this? I'm on my way to the hospital. Yeah. And, um, and then you came out of it and you're like, mask, we need them and pulled your resources and had the, the mask mission, mm -hmm. mission. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Which I was a recipient of that. And then, um, would you identify yourself as a long hauler of still? Very much so. So I have really bad brain fog that is another subjective where like pain is subjective so if people haven't had a certain type of pain or maybe never had pain lucky them but or chronic pain um brain fog is something that is it's 
so subjective and it's different for everyone. So if you've never experienced every single day being this fuzzy, disconnected, you know, hell that you're in, that it feels almost like I'm over here watching myself versus like in my body. So it kind of felt like I'm detached, um, which is very hard to be productive. And I, I at least have a very good drive to, to kind of push through it. But the part that's actually struggled the most is my creativity because it's very hard to be creative and write and do things when your brain is fuzzy but then a big part of brain inflammation, and I actually have a lot of, of toxins that I'm going through also, that I think it was like a perfect storm. <laughs> so I have mold, I have pesticides, I have like literally everything just kind of culminated. And it probably was low grade and then COVID just was like, boop, and then everything fell, fell down. Um, so uh, the toxicities and probably COVID as well, puts your body, it affects the vagus nerve, your limbic system, it puts you in fight or flight. But I've had, since COVID, personality changes, not like, now I'm like, don't be scared. <laughs> but, but more so where you, you get just really impatient, right? And that's what, when you look at um, certain other brain, uh, brain changes, like a chemo brain, um, HIV, which is a virus-induced brain changes, uh, MS, uh, other EBV or CMV, Epstein-Barr, those ones, that people actually say that there's personality changes that come with it, that the person is very impatient, short-fused. And that's because these uh, conditions affect the limbic system, your vagus nerve, the amygdala, like all that stuff. And then the same thing with toxicities. So it's really hard to essentially deal with the fuzzy brain, but then my body is in this fight or flight response because of all of the inflammation and toxicity. So I'm doing literally everything possible that I can in like a day while still running several companies and raising my baby. But um, yeah, like I'm even going to do in September a five day retreat. Now that I'm in Arizona, I'm going to Sedona. And I'm going to do like a, a spiritual retreat because I'm like, I just need to do, I'm doing a detox of everything, but I haven't detoxed specifically like the spiritual, emotional side of things. You know, I can do so many whole body cryotherapy sessions, which builds a vagal tone and things like that. But is that necessarily changing the mental, spiritual conversation? Of being in fight or flight. Like, I feel like you could, uh, uh, what would be conceptually or intellectually train your vagus nerve, but are you doing it from a deeper perspective? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, you're like, totally. you're detoxifying from the trauma of being, yeah. I mean, yeah. catching the, 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 especially you're in New York. So witnessing all of what's going on in New York. And then, I mean, that makes 100%. Sedona is beautiful. So yeah. I think you'll excited for that. I greatly enrich my husband and baby. But um, yeah, I mean, COVID, COVID put me in such a fight or flight state. This is before I even had it. It was like beginning of March. And I was like, oh, like, I have companies, I have patients, I have like, my family is the world gonna end like I just had a whole like, and everyone responds to it different. Some people were just probably eating potato chips and watching reruns and like, whatever, it's fine. But I was thinking of like, 
global humanity <laughs> depression my mind goes so i had such bad i started putting myself in like almost like panic attacks from it and insomnia because I, it was just the state of uncertainty um of course then i get COVID and that whole thing and then uh right then i had post-COVID effects, so that kept me in it, and that's where I am today. But before that, which is funny that we don't even realize is that whatever you had going on before this, just continued into it. So if you had any other stressor in your life, this just completely compounded it. And I was new mom, my baby was six, five, six months old when all this happened. So I was still kind of navigating like life as a mom and getting past some like crazy birth trauma that I had. And then, so I was like, oh, and then I'm just like, oh, <laughs> on top of it. So I was just like, what the hell is going on in this? Like this last year is just like, you know, nuts. I need Sedona. <laughs> yeah. Um, so am I correct in what I've been following and reading with you that you're treating some of the, the brain dysfunction, dysfunction and fog through your gut. You're really tying in the gut brain connection. Yes. So I had a GI test that looked at my gut biome, looked to see if I had leaky gut, which I knew that I did. I didn't even have to have a test to do that, but um, it was pretty much obliterated. And then there's a test that you can do for a marker that when it's high, it essentially confirms that you have leaky blood brain barrier. Uh, and that was high. So again, I didn't need to have a test to know it, but just you quantify it. So then that means that there's brain inflammation, there's potentially um, viral particles. But since I also had pesticides and three other environmental toxins and mold that that potentially was just like, okay, we're going to open the gates and then you can go in there. And then it became a little rigmarole. So strengthening the blood brain barrier through strength, strengthening the gut. And then I'm doing a ton of detox. I'm doing infrared sauna three times a week. When I'm not doing infrared sauna, I'm doing a clay bath at home to just sweat it out, binders. Um, I'm doing hyperbaric oxygen, which is something I just added. And that's been really beneficial. Um, I did ozone. Uh, when I was in New York still, I did that after I had COVID and then IV infusions and then a butt ton of vitamins. And then I'm going to do my Sedona detox. Sounds like you have the life. I mean, everyone should have COVID just to get the, the, the spot treatments <laughs> they have the afterwards. All the time. Yeah, no, I wish that it, <laughs> I wish <laughs> it, it's a full-time job trying to, uh, keep your health in check and, you know, a lot of these things, which is unfortunate, are not covered by insurance, which is, which always bothers me that side of things, because you have people who may, might not have access to them, but they should, like, it's not fair that someone who can pay for a hyperbaric medicine can do it where someone else really needs it. And the insurances aren't reimbursing for things like this. Um, so that's kind of a, a, a perspective I get into this of having now a chronic condition, I can empathize with my patients who have chronic conditions of the emotional frustration of it. And I'm sure people who are listening have patients who have chronic conditions, whether it's MS, Parkinson's, whatever it might be, and that the emotional side that they bring into it is 
such a huge effect and it's something that has to be honored by the doctor or the practitioner that just kind of like imagine if every day you had to start over and have this like reminder that you are not how you used to be how you've got to be like a mental warrior for that to not start to affect you day after day and i used to see that with my neuropathy patients especially idiopathic neuropathy those are some of the hardest emotionally to deal with because they're usually young healthy and seemingly out of nowhere they get this kind of autoimmune attack to their peripheral nerves and now one day they feel fine next day every shoe and sock bothers them the next day it's burning the next day they have this then they feel great so they think they're good and then they go back down to zero and then it's and it's just this whole emotional thing and you know for those patients i usually just sit down and listen to them usually that just has to be a session let down and just listen to them because they just want someone to hear them and not think that they're crazy and then when you actually hear them and actually listen to them then they feel the sense of like connection okay now let's let's see what we can do for you um so i know we had mentioned it earlier but chronic pain individuals are are just wanting to be heard is is step one they just want to be heard and um i try to do that following the biopsychosocial model that people just want to be heard is step one absolutely and i think yes of course you you wonderful that you had all that accessible to you to try to rid yourself of the virus but it's also and it is a shame that the medical insurance industry is so limiting in so many ways for people to seek proper treatment but with you sharing that that definitely helps people who are listeners who maybe are suffering from COVID or know somebody that there are alternative options that I think speaking to just the, the plain trauma of it, of working through that, that could help with symptoms. Clay, I mean, get a good well-resourced charcoal clay. That shouldn't be overly expensive. Being able to try to find, I mean, maybe that's a little hard these days um, with infrared saunas, but to, that there's a reminder that there are a lot of other options out there to help with this particular we're talking about COVID, but with with any ailment that we get fixated on what the western medicine has to offer which i i'm a big believer in it i have a quadriplegic brother that if it weren't for western medicine he wouldn't be with us today but there are also so many other ways that we can take care of ourselves and just a reminder that there's a lot of ways out there. And I think you offered some really great options that could be affordable for people if they're still suffering from, from long haul and, or a hauler, I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. And um, I read something today, there's this new, it's circulating with social media about how this big mega machine was able to study COVID, but and, they, and it was very long-winded and I had a hard time reading it with my little ones running around. But at the very end, when I got to, they were like, it's vitamin D. Everybody still needs vitamin D. Everybody's pretty um, lacking in it. Just a reminder that that's a very, and it's an over-counter, not overly expensive medicine. Yeah, I mean, what, what's funny is that everyone likes to send those to me, which is 
which is nice that they think of me. When they think COVID, they're like, oh, Dr. Emily. <laughs> I mean, just said new research to Dr. Emily. But uh, for those who have had COVID, the whole like, this is how it works and this is how it just messes up your body and this is the mechanism of action doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me anymore. So I'm just kind of like, that's good. I had it and I'm in, in this like daily hell of brain fog. So I, I do appreciate that they send it to me, but I'm also like, that's not going to help me right now. So of anyone who's listening, that is potentially a long hauler. It's really that side that isn't being studied right now as much because we need to control the virus first. So that's like step one, right? Like how do we control it? Where's the vaccine? What's its mechanism of action so that we can squash it. And then all of our attention can turn to everyone who had it and is having these long hauling symptoms. But until then, all of the millions of people that are in there are kind of at their own, own kind of devices to try to figure out what to do. And I hope that people are not just like, I'll get over it eventually, like in time, right? My body will get stronger every day. That's not how I am. I'm going to be like, I'm not going to wait to see if like, because it's already been five months and I'm still the exact same from a symptoms perspective. So if I'm just like, well, let's see, especially with the nervous system, imagine like a TBI or someone who has a concussion, like normally you are on that so aggressively from, if you just think of like hyperbaric medicine, if someone has a TBI or a concussion, they're like, get in the tank right now because the brain needs to like get on that shit right away. And people who may have neurological symptoms post COVID and they're just kind of dilly dallying around it because they just don't know and they're not being directed by their Western medicine doctor. I pray that they don't have persistent symptoms because they didn't act soon enough. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, so like on that sort of note, it sounds like you've been posting uh, about it and sharing about it. How would people uh, find you and what you've been writing? Um, so some people think that it is uh, not COVID related, which is always interesting. <laughs> They're like, COVID didn't really even happen. And I'm just like, okay, um, that's not a conversation that I'm wanting to have. Um, but I feel that a lot of people are um, open to hear those things and they might have a family member or a loved one who has and they want to just know what options exist because again, it, it doesn't know. And that's why I do post things to try to be a resource, not as a expert in any way, um, but to provide some insight in what I'm experiencing, what, uh, what I'm doing. Um, like I just did a video for Dr. Oz and uh, some people may like him or his show or whatever with it, but the fact that Dr. Oz is doing a show on brain fog post COVID to me is so great because that's just bringing attention to these people who are experiencing certain symptoms and just kind of validating them a little bit. And then, um, you know, giving them a platform to have a voice, which I think is great. Well, and it's like you said as well, I think that just being, being recognized. So if someone's going through something and they read your post, it's also a sense of like, oh, I'm not alone. I can, I can do this. Um, so for people who do want to hear that and are barefoot or any sort of other things that you're talking about, where, where's, where do people find uh, Dr. E? 
<laughs> yes. So my Instagram is um, at DREmilyDPM. So people can follow me on there. I do a lot of posts and stories and IGTVs. Um, and then my education company, which is EBFA Global, um, that's the website, ebfaglobal.com. That links to our YouTube, to our social handles, to our online courses. Um, Nicole had mentioned that we do uh, free webinars, free courses. We also have paid courses. We have live courses that we actually have a couple that are coming up in 2020 still that are in person. So we have one in Arizona, one in Chicago. Um, so if people are looking for that, we do a few via Zoom. Otherwise, they're sitting on our online platform. And then for Naboso, which is the sensory insoles and mats, that is naboso.com, N-A-B-O-S-O.com. And then that links to our social and YouTube and, and things like that. I don't hide from people. <laughs> you can find me. So you're clearly a wealth of amazing information and great resource for so many things. A closing question is, what inspires you to, to be in this field? Uh, and, to, uh, and to be an innovator and, and to share so freely. Yeah, you know, it, that's a, an amazing question. And it took me a while to figure out what it was, where it's kind of just kind of like, what is your purpose? Is what people could feel. And then they're in a job and they're kind of like, well, I'm not satisfied and they can't find the sticky thing that just speaks to them, which I find is your true purpose and your calling on this planet. Um, and I eventually found that mine is being a student slash being an educator. So I love to learn is really what it is. And that's why I think that in the beginning, Andrew was just like, whoa, uh, I went to 13 years of school, which is either some people are like, hell no, that's not for me. Or like, whoa, that's a lot of debt in <laughs> school loans. But 13 years of school, I love, love that environment. If I, which is why I love conferences and I just go with my, my little coffee and my, my notebook and I just love to take it in or I read continuously. So what drives me to do what I do is that I'm curious, I love to learn, and then I love to share what I learn. So I consider my purpose to be an educator. And as a doctor, I'm not a healer, I'm an educator. I educate my patients to heal themselves. Um, so yeah, that's what really drives me every day. Dr. Emily, it's been so fun chatting with you. It's it's still virtual, even though I've seen a lot of you virtually like on an online platform, but it's been a real pleasure to have this, this connection and this conversation. And thank you again for taking time to speak with us. Of course, thank you both so much. It was a pleasure. And we'll see you again at some point in the future. Okay, sounds right. great. Thank you both so Take much. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Ciao. Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Dr. Emily at dremilyspleachall.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate all your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you in our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.